SecondCityHockey.com Jonathan Taves. Commit to us. Commit to the jersey. Commit to our people here. Welcome back to Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. We are back after a brief one-week hiatus, and we're back at the end of the 2021 Chicago Blackhawks season. I'm your host, Dave Melton, the site manager for Second City Hockey, and I've got all three of my usual line mates with me this evening. First off, it is the analytic styling of Second City Hockey, Shepard Price. I was... I. I had a thing. You had two weeks to think of one, Shepard. And, uh... I'm currently folding laundry and I forgot. I don't, I can't think of a lot or rhyme for laundry. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you're really uh, fully dedicated to this episode that you're doing laundry. <laughs> hey, I am paying attention and I am present. This is, I am ready. You're about as present as the Blackhawks were for the final four games of the season. Once they were. Oh, the, the <laughs> Sunday's game was perfectly fine. Sunday's, Sunday's game, game was, was a good game. That's fine. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, also with us this evening, he is to Second City Hockey what Burt McCracken is to the used. It is Mil Savage. The taste of ink is actually not a very good taste. Were you a big pen eater back in the day? Or maybe no. still are? I don't know. No, but I'm very much into that style of music. And I still live in that world. So thank you, Dave, for keeping it alive with me. I appreciate <laughs> it very much. You're welcome. I feel like I, I don't know. I don't get like reports on the demographics of uh, the people who listen to this podcast, but I feel like there's a lot of people that I'm just like, I don't want to say like, ask your parents. Cause I don't feel like they're, they're we're not that old. Yeah. We're not that old, but I feel like there's a lot of kids like who the fuck are they use? And I'm, sorry, man. Well, they've influenced, if you're a, a young kid who's into a band, they probably influenced one of your favorite bands. And if you're not into that kind of music, that's okay. It's just be into music in general. Music rules. There we go. Exactly. And then finally, also with us this evening, she is the Second City Hockey Bull and Wall of Text and Gifts sometimes as well. It is Betsy, also knows LBR. Um, I'm excited to be talking about hockey and not like modern history because that's all I've been doing for the past two weeks. And not just regular modern history, sixth grade modern history, which is terrible. So what's what's the big uh, what's the big topic on modern history for well, sixth graders? No, I mean like so he's my nephew is doing a project and he had to pick a topic and all of them I was like oh I hated that that sucks oh I'm very bitter about this because it's all everything during essentially Bush's years and I'm like oh fuck him though that's um so the, oh, oh so, my god that's I, that hurts that that's modern history that I gotta hurts a lot. I, I gotta oh, tell man. you real quick 
I don't mean to interrupt, but I took a photo today on my phone. I was at Walgreens and someone had a Bush 2004 bumper sticker on their car. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? Like, how does still? it last that long? I don't know. Exactly. Their car, you could tell their car was sticker. old. It, the sticker was good quality. I, I don't appreciate the sticker, but I, uh, I want to know where they printed it because I need that quality for my band stickers. So, <laughs> but yeah, the car was beat, but I was just like, damn, like really? Oh, so, no, sorry to interrupt, but I, that was relevant. Not modern history. I mean, yeah, it made me feel old, but he is, <laughs> I mean, I was like, Oh, these are events that happened in my life when I was in like middle school and high school. So I'm going to need you to like, not ex- like stop it. <laughs> oh, just to remind everybody that I'm the baby of the podcast. I don't remember the Bush years. Well, you but don't you remember do. them? No, I was uh, 13 when he left office. Uh, I don't even want to. Well, I wasn't far behind you, Shep. I was like 16. Well, I just like, I, so I, I'm sure many people that listen to this know I cover high school sports and just the, I seeing the numbers on the Letterman jacket sleeves. Just, oh, it's I brutal. Saw, I was at a meet just, I was just at a track meet. I saw a lot of 24s out there. A lot of 24s guys. Isn't it gross? Oh man. Like I remember the first time I saw a 10 and I thought that was like, Oh God, I'm ancient. And oh. Well, I I graduated in 11, so I'm a little bit behind you. But I I remember, like, seeing that for the first time and thinking that. And I think if I had kids, maybe I wouldn't care. But now I'm just old. And I also saw, like, uh, it must have been a grade school. But I saw a kid with, like, what looked like a Letterman jacket. And I don't remember what year, but it started with a three. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So. So I, I, if you're if you're putting Letterman jackets on your grade school kids with uh, that decade on your sleeve, just stop. Well, just, those are bad parents. Just don't force that, them into sports. Those are yeah, that yeah, that that's on the parents, not the kids. But uh, so all right. Well, now that we've all aged ourselves significantly, uh, you guys want to talk about some Blackhawks hockey? Yeah. Not really. <laughs> not not particularly. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we're so we again we've gathered here this Tuesday evening, 24 hours ago. The Blackhawks ended the 2021 season with a five to four loss in overtime to the Dallas Stars. That in a many in many ways was like the perfect summary of the entire season. In that they got a 2-0 lead, then they didn't have that 2-0 lead, and then they lost in overtime, and they got outshot like uh, some by some absurd amount. The possession numbers and everything were not in their favor. And um, yeah, it was basically the, the 2021 Blackhawks in a nutshell and player exit interviews were today. And so we're just, everyone's just kind of recapping everything that we've watched and learned and listened for the last four months. So I guess that's where we are going to start and Shepard, I'll go to you first, just your initial thoughts on everything that has transpired with the 2021 Blackhawks. First to hit on Monday night's game. It was the shots were 50 to 23 at the end of the game. That's which okay. is, uh, I knew it was bad, but I couldn't remember this just how bad. That's bad. It's <laughs> that's not real good. bad. The Blackhawks had four single digit shot shot periods, and the goal and the stars had three had in regulation all of the all like all three of their periods were double digit shots. Um not, it wasn't a great game. Uh Sunday again was better. Colin Delia came out of nowhere, really. I mean, I last last podcast here, I was promoting saying like, work him in. I was right. Uh, 
yeah, really, really uh, appreciate the humility, Shepard. Really, yeah, really. dude. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, Gondelia was great the last stretch. Um, Vinny Henestrosa continued to turn it on, and it scared me a little bit see- today seeing him tweet out a goodbye. It felt like uh, that was. I think I put that in the black heart. Hey, I mean, wasn't it more of like? Just it was like, a thank. It was a thank you, but it felt real goodbye ish. Um, and I don't want to say goodbye to him. He earned a place on next season's roster okay. more than a lot of players uh, down the stretch. Um, yeah, I'm, there are players I'm ready to say say goodbye to, and Vinny Henestros is not one of them. Um, Betsy, how about you? What, what are your main thoughts on just the the 2021 Blackhawks as a whole? Uh, it's like a mixed bag a little bit because obviously, as we've said before, lots of like optimism when it comes to individual players. Um, like I know every team kind of hypes their prospects and their young players up. Um, so I'm not, we're not trying to like say every one of these guys is going to be a superstar, but I think they found some good, useful players. Um, Hagel is a perfect example. You know um, I think Suter is going to be good. I think Kurashev could be good. Um, obviously we have tons of defensive kids. Boquist took a step forward. Kalyanuk is awesome. I liked Stillman at the end. Um, Badan was so good. The list goes on. You're like, these are bright spots. And then you look at the team level and you're like, eh, <laughs> that could have been better. <laughs> yeah. They were last place in expected goal share this season, which is not yeah. great. And, like, yeah, and it, near it was, the bottom and everything else. Yeah. They were yeah. year over year worse in every regard in terms of team level stats, um, even in certain micro stats uh, that they needed to improve on and they just didn't do it systematically. So that's disappointing, but you're then still, you're like, but look how some of these kids did. And so it's, yeah, it's a double, it's a little column A, I'm happy, a little column of B, I'm like, please be better next year. <laughs> Mill, what about you? Um, twenty twenty one season, I didn't have very much expectation as far as the win columns go, but I will say I was impressed with the goaltending and by all three. Colin Delia actually was very good when they um, let him play. Yeah, when they <laughs> let him play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um, you know, there's a lot of talent on this team. I know we harp on the coaching, but really, I think they need an experienced coach and someone who can point them in the right direction and that's that's the bottom line it's like there's talent here they probably need to sign uh, a top defenseman maybe um like a, a really good forward you could use a couple guys here and there but you know they're not far off i mean there's there's a lot of talent here so there's just the coaching strategy you know same things we've harped on all year yeah, I think there's that might be maybe that'll be next week's episode where we start to look forward a little bit and, and what this team needs to do to take the next step because uh I haven't written this yet, but I've had this thought that whatever rebuild, retool, whatever the hell you want to call it, that they're probably done with that stage of everything. Like they should probably be trying to win now because they have, as you guys have all mentioned, there's a ton of people here now. There are a ton of defensemen, ton of forwards, and like not all these guys are gonna be here probably next season and then certainly not, you know, one or two down the road. Um, I, I think the the biggest thing that I keep coming back to, and this was uh, something that appeared at secondcityhockey.com this morning was that I feel like there was a level of underperformance by this team. 
And it keeps going back to the, if you go back to, I think it was March 6th, I took a screenshot of the league standings at that time. And the Hawks were 11 points up on the National Predators. And the, Chicago had played an extra game, but either way, it's eleven. It's an 11 point gap after having played 25 games. You get to the end of the season, another 31 games, and the Blackhawks are nine points behind Nashville. And take like Dallas, Columbus, and everyone else out of it. I don't understand how the Blackhawks were 20 points worse than the Predators over the last two and a half months of the season. That just does not compute with me because if you look at the Chicago roster and the Nashville roster, I don't see a 20-point talent gap between those two teams. I don't give a shit how good UC Saros was playing in that. So that was my my general thought was just it felt like there was more to be accomplished this season than this team did. Not that they didn't accomplish anything. Like that's not what I'm saying. Like there was plenty of things that happened. Plenty of these young kids took steps forward, but the lack of team development is my drawback from this season. And my, my concern going forward that I don't know how much better that's going to get next season. Yeah. I, so I think there is a 20 point talent gap there because if you look at how the Blackhawks were succeeding uh, early this season, it was all goaltending and especially rookie goaltending. Um, yeah. and power play. And both of those things were probably destined to regress to the means. Um, and that, I was going to say Nashville doesn't have Patrick King. Also Nashville, yeah, but Patrick King like is the only... reverse of them. Like Nashville's not a very, like Nashville's a better team than Chicago, but they're not. Yes. But they're not. They're, a good they're like, they're a mediocre team. team. And they're, they're, they're a decent like, possession team. Though. That's the other thing, Betsy's like, Nashville's yeah. not good. <laughs> like that, that, that's another like problem is I, I don't think Nashville is all that good of a team. And the fact that the Hawks are that far behind them is kind of alarming to me. Well, maybe not alarming, but concerning. I think what, I, yeah, uh, one of the problems is again, I think, I don't know if they have the franchise goaltender they need uh, to actually win now. Um, especially down the stretch, there, there were some, like, all three of them were good at times, but not consistently, especially Lankin and down the stretch was not good consistently. Um, they need somebody who can come in and win games, game after game after game. And whether that's trading for one of the VGK goaltenders or uh, picking up, somebody who will probably be lost to the expansion draft and get give value for that. Or even Yaro Kolak, who might be a free agent from Boston this season. The Blackhawks need better goaltending and they need, they, like, like Mill said, they need better schemes. They didn't, they didn't underperform because they were never supposed to make the playoffs in the first place. They told us that before the season, that they were not going to make the playoffs. They were right. They were better than expected. They were, they should like everybody had them down with the Detroit Red Wings. They were not down with the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, statistically, they were. <laughs> yes, yeah. statistically, statistically, they were worse than the Red Wings. But yeah. in terms of like actual, actual react, like what happened in the games, they're above two teams in the Central. I don't think any anybody predicted that before the season. Uh, I well, I, I think I just, the go ahead. I, I get where you're coming from when you're saying Nashville is a better team. They performed better at a team level, but nobody on their roster, especially since they were without Forsberg for a while, Duchesne for a while, um, that kind of stuff. They were out, we were out without their star players for good chunks of the year. And that roster of kind of underwhelming players in general managed to be better than the Blackhawks. And I think some of the players on the Blackhawks are better than those kids, not all of them, but some of them. 
um, and they still underperform to them. That's my issue is these are two kind of like up and coming nothing. Like these are nobodies. Like you look at these rosters and you go, I don't know who some of these kids are. I don't know who some of these random players are. And yet Nashville somehow did better. And it wasn't just, you know, Soros obviously carried them at the end, but statistically they were a better team. So if you're talking about roster construction, they're pretty similar. Why could the Blackhawks not do something the same uh, way. How could why did they let Nashville get 15 out of 16 freaking points against them this season? Like that, because Nashville's defense is a far superior product than the Blackhawks' defense. That's, and that's that's I, really what it's come. That's really what it comes down to. I, I the fact that it was that much superior is a problem to me. Like that, yes, I think, yeah. I think so, uh, part of it too is Nashville's forwards are so fast. It's true. The Hawks struggled with that group. too. Mm. Yeah, I, I I don't want to be like too negative. I I think it's it goes back to I, Miller Betts. I forget which one of you said that, but just pointing out that like there was individual progress, but not collective progress, and not as much collective progress. And I know at the start of the season, like we were worried that they were going to be worse than the Red Wings and and all that. But I, I it's hard <laughs> for me to put. Well, as long as, sorry, Hawks fans, as long as they're not worse than the Red Wings. Right, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like the Bears fans, as long as they, you know, go 2-14 and 14 but beat the Packers twice. Like, that's, sorry, that's, anyways. It's funny, but, yeah. Um, but anyway, like, I it's you. I don't think I, I can have the same evaluation for them now just by saying, like, oh, they were better than the Red Wings, so it was okay because I didn't think they were going to be better than the Red Wings in January. But – we also didn't know that Kevin Lincoln was going to be what he is in January. If like, if we go back to January and, and I, I remember putting this together like a month ago and I put like three lines. It was uh, Robin Leonard last season, Corey Crawford last season and Kevin Lincoln in this season. And the numbers weren't all that different. So if the Hawks had started this season with Corey Crawford and you knew they had a, like, you knew they had a decent goaltender in net and they still finished the way they are now. I feel like your expect you would be wildly disappointed by this team. So if you got a similar level of performance from Kevin and Lincoln, and I'm not saying Kevin Lincoln and his Corey Crawford, please don't go down that road. That's not what I'm saying here. But if you got a goalie that played, you had one of your questions answered kind of at the start of the season. So I don't think, I think you have to look at it with a different lens than you did back in January because of what we know now. And that's, like, where, that's where like my it. underperformance thing theory comes from. Down the stretch, Langanen wasn't Crawford, and that was probably part of the problem. Was that again, oh, Langanen sure. was yeah, real Crawford, bad, real bad. Crawford wasn't Crawford at twenty five either. Yeah. Like it's Corey like Crawford time. took a while to get here. He got outplayed by Niemi, and then I mean he had what like a nine oh three something in twenty twelve yep. during when you know that was well below average that year. So that um, was that was the year with Turco, right? Where I yeah, they signed I mean, Turco to be it took Crawford a while to become who he was and then he was great. Yeah after but, that nine oh three he was point nine two six and one nine four. So. I think it's fair to say, though, like after, you know, like if you look at how good Lankanen was and then the, or even Subban or Delia, the discrepancy between them and Crawford isn't enough to save the Hawks to get into the playoffs. Yeah. It's not a goalie problem. No, exactly. Like the, the goal, the goaltending, like down the stretch, it certainly faltered, but the goaltending isn't the reason they, they that they were where they are now. 
Yeah. Right. And I'd much rather them focus on the team, like the, the skaters, mm-hmm. um, let, I don't mind getting like Halak or somebody who's like an old, like an older guy who can help mentor the young goalies. Cause that's what I wanted Corey Crawford to do. I wanted Crawford to be signed for two more years, not only because I thought he'd still be great, but also because he could teach these younger ones, a lot of, a lot of value. Um, and so I wouldn't mind that, but I think that they should run with the goalies that they have in system and coming in the pipeline because honestly, it's really hard to trade for a really good goalie. Yeah. I mean, the Hawks for a while had a good stretch of just plucking one out of Europe or wherever. But um, I I think like the, the goalie thing, like unless one of the guys played absolutely out of his mind, like the goalie evaluation was never going to end after the season. Like it's probably still a three horse race. Maybe one gets traded in the off season but we're going to come back to training camp in September of this year and probably, you know, probably another wide open competition. Whoever plays best will be the number one guy. And they're going to have to prove again that they are as good as they were this season. And then maybe by the, you know, towards middle end of next season, if Lincoln or Subban or Delia, if one of them is still playing at a pretty good level, that's when maybe you can start to think, all right, this could be a long-term option. I don't think any of the three have proven that yet but like they're in contention for it but i don't think anything no one's getting a five-year deal out of this group yet yeah no yeah so so yeah um so that's that that's the that's the wrap on the whole 21 season any anything else i'm 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 kidding but we're, we're gonna we're gonna dive into some more stuff uh take some questions and we're gonna do all that on the other side of a quick timeout so come on back and we'll do that real quick Welcome back to Musings on Madison. And as promised before the break, I wanted to dive into a few more things, uh, wrapping up the 2021 season of the Chicago Blackhawks. And uh, as I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but player exit interviews were today. And I wanted to get to a Twitter question related to that because we're going to do some questions later. Um, But one of the questions was related to the exit interview. So I thought it was a perfect time for it. Uh, The name is Crystal. The Twitter handle is at Mabel Stitch. She wanted to know, or they wanted to know, I don't know this person. Uh, what did you learn from the pressers? Not a recap of what you thought was interesting. Do any of you, uh, any of the comments from the players today, anything stand out to anyone? As I have two things that raise an eyebrow, but I'll defer to all of you first. I mean, Kane wants to power the team to the playoffs by himself, apparently. Uh, and he that's, probably could, honestly. I, if he could, he, I think he would have this year. So. Fair. That's a fair point. He, I, I mean... It's not an insult to Kane to say he's not quite Connor McDavid because Connor McDavid is not of this planet. I'm pretty sure. He also doesn't. I mean, Kane is also missing his dry sidle. So yeah, I was about to say Debrinket took big steps, but he's not dry sidle yet. Yeah. yeah. And also, apparently, Kane's been playing hurt. Uh, yeah, apparently. I don't know what that was about. I like there's it's a minor thing, but it, he didn't he didn't specify what it was. The team will not will guarantee not specify what it is. And he said he's had it since the playoff bubble last year. So it, it means he's been dealing with it since August. So I'm like I'm like it, it didn't I'm surprised it didn't heal between the end of the last postseason and this season. Um, and so I, I'm guessing we hope it heals in the next five months. It might have been yes. one of those things that 
like it felt like over this like in the break it felt like it was fine and then the more he played because like in the beginning he was like on fire obviously so Mm -hmm. it might have just been something that he thought was good to go and then the more he played the less that was true and he didn't want to give up on the team because they like almost to the end pretty close to the end they were in the playoff hunt and players will never say no to crazy that he was playing like 24 25 minutes a night though like it does, it, yeah. yeah it does make you wonder like maybe maybe should have uh, another reason to maybe dial that down to like 20 or 21 maybe maybe don't go so crazy on the patrick kane minutes when he's 32 33 years old however old he is now 31 i think i think he turns 33 this year yeah, I think he was he he was born in '88 because it's on his back. Oh yeah, so November, <laughs> so November he'll be. I don't know what his birthday is, but he it's, he it's in November. Out. Yeah, it's only November. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it was just as soon as I realized, like, oh yeah, it's on his freaking back when you. <laughs> Boy, that feels good. Um, th- any other pr- press conference thoughts? Because there is one more that I wanted to bring up, and I'm going to read read his comments verbatim because uh, they they it's- caught my eye. Is it oh. the Kane possession comments or? No, what was the Kane possession comments? Uh, just that he said something like, um, hold on, let me. I've been used to playing that puck possession game my whole career. So it's a little different right now. Um, Does that mean like, they like because I, I don't know how much we dove into this on this podcast, but I know you've mentioned this before, Betsy, that the Hawks were like one of the best teams off the rush in the NHL. And like, is that, coached like are they coached that way that don't set up the puck in the zone just go score or go try or can they not cycle well yeah they i don't think it's the latter yeah it's the latter okay that's all they can do is go on the rush Rush. yeah yeah usually a good rush team like most of the time like like 60 percent of the time a good rush team is good in transition generally and they can get in the zone and then you hope, hope that they can set up and the blackhawks this year could get into the zone and had Decent chances off the rush. They actually were considered like a wasted offense team when it came to that, mostly because of like Camp and (laughs) Carpenter and Hagel for a while where they would like shoot and it would either miss or go directly into the goalie's chest and all this other stuff. And then it immediately turned the other way and they wouldn't get any possession time. But uh, they kept calling like in, they, they, they said like this dump and chase style that, uh, uh, I it felt like it was dumped without much of the chase. Yeah, it wasn't. It yeah. wasn't dump and chase. It was a lot of one and done. Because that yeah, was exactly. Let's put one shot on and then go in the neutral zone. Because I just, I just think that's an interesting thing for Patrick Kane to say because we've been saying this for a while. We're like, why we would love for them to be a good um, possession team again. The Avalanche are great off the rush too, but they also set up in their zone a bunch. So you can be both. Yeah. And both can the be Hawks can just weren't. The Avalanche, the Avalanche are competent. And this as far is as a, coaching goes. <laughs> this puck possession style comment is coming from somebody who never let's tell the truth about Dr. Kane. Has never had the best possession numbers. He's yeah. not Marion no, Hosa. So Doesn't that's the thing about Patrick Kane's possession numbers, he doesn't have good shot pitch um, numbers, but if you look at his time stats, um, sports logic would always um, like Mike Kelly from NHL would always comment about this. Patrick Kane was a top three possession player since 2013 when they started like sports logic started tracking that. Is that in terms top, of like fit the puck physically on his stick? Yes. Physically on his stick. And then he was a top three 
in the offensive zone, which makes sense because he's deployed there a lot. But the only other players that topped him decent, like regularly for a while and this year, he's top five, but not top three from what I understand was McDavid or, um, you know, occasionally McKinnon. I think he came up a couple of times. Crosby was up there once. Um, but like, in terms of shots, we all know that Patrick Kane loves to go into the zone, hold the puck. Yeah, I was just about to say that. That's his go-to move. And yeah, does so this include power, the, the power play where he just holds the puck and waits for somebody to move and no one does, and then we get mad? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, what? Like, that was his. That was so dangerous because he would hold it and then he would find the right person, and there only needed to be one or two shots while he was in the zone. But he was still in the zone a lot. But his, it's true, Shepard's completely right. His possession, actual possession stats were not that great because they they were fine, but they would obviously flip the ice the other way because that's not what his <laughs> line ever was really constructed to do, um, cycle hugely. Though, again, Patrick Kane had almost, when Panarin and Kane were together, they had, um, like, it was, like, almost an even split of goals off the rush and off the cycle, and those are not two players that you think about as cycle players because they're not small. They don't board battle a lot, but hey, they're excellent at passing. <laughs> they're super smart and that kind of stuff. So there's just different styles to it. But I just thought it was interesting that a player who has played that type of I want the puck all the time. And he's like, we didn't have it a lot is essentially what he said. And I mean, that's true. He reminded me like towards the end of the season, uh, especially later in when the game, the games where the Hawks were just getting out possessed like crazy and out shot and out chance and everything. And full, like they'd skate the buck to the blue line path. They go, here's a dumping. Will there be a retrieval? <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> he did, he did like, it multiple times, like three times in a row. And you could just hear like, he's just done with this shit. It was, it was funny. Um, but the other f- player comments from the uh, press conference to, or all the press conferences today. Um, you can, by the way, if you go to secondcityhockey.com, I, I, I can't go through it now, but Shepard had an article up that details which of the Blackhawks you can watch play for the, for their respective countries in the world tournament. That's I believe in Latvia this year, this summer. So, so there's that, um, but we won't get into that here, but the other person who was interesting to me was Dylan Strom. Yep. Talked about, uh, so Millsaw is too, um, that he was pissed off because he kept getting scratched. And I guess one game against Nashville, he took the warmups. He didn't know he was, uh, his quote here, this is Ben Pope from the Sun-Times tweeting this. Uh, this is a direct quote from Strom. The first game in Nashville, I took warmups and didn't know I was being scratched. And then I got scratched. That came as a surprise. Um, I made it like, I made an offhand comment on Twitter when Strom scored on Sunday or excuse me, on Monday, I said, well, congrats to Dylan Strom on what feels like his final goal as a Blackhawk. And uh, several people just responded with, well, he's under contract for next season. I like, I'm not saying he's going to get traded because of those comments, but because he's been getting scratched so much and he's clearly not thrilled about it. And just the way the Hawks have kind of not really played him a ton this season. I don't, I don't know where his future is with this team. It really doesn't seem like it exists. Unless they fire Carlton, as we've said a few times now. <laughs> well, I, I think he's scheduled to meet the media Wednesday morning, so I don't think that's happening. I'd rather him be fired than I love. So it's so annoying because we talk about this. Um, it's almost a narrative at this point that Bowman loves 
like getting former first round picks from other teams. Mm -hmm. And so far, have any of them worked like past a year? Like Mata was fine, ended up being fine, but he was gone. Um, KK was good, but he's gone. Um, Perlini was gone almost instantly. Nylander was whatever he was. Um, he's hurt. He's yeah. And he's back. hurt now. And then well, he'll be, he'll be he, I think I, I he think he was hurt when he comes back. I don't. I, I just want to say I think he was hurt last year because he sucked. Like people will debate that with me, but like he looked, I think he just sucks. <laughs> well, 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 well. If he just sucks, then he just sucks. But like, if he has an injury and he sucks, then what? What's the point? Sure, but so he's a he's a little TBD, right? We don't like Zadorov. We uh, <laughs> that's our brand. <laughs> um, and then Strom, if he's gone, then you've traded Schmaltz, who is a good player too. For essentially nothing, I guess whatever you get for Strom, but he's in a bad year, so they're not going to get a lot. And yeah, his, his just, trade value's never been lower than it is right now. Yeah, and Bowman does a really good job of finding like these players, like Kubalik, and you know, he plucks them out of nowhere. He makes like nothing deals that turn out pretty decently, but then he makes like for some reason these other ones just like slide into nothing. Yeah, um, I just. It, Ugh. Sorry, go ahead. I don't know if you. No, I just it annoys me because I think Strom is better than he was this yeah. season. I said at the beginning of the year because somebody in a comment section was like, "Do you think this will be like a good thing for Strom that Taves and Doc are out?" And I said, "No, explicitly." I said it was a bad thing. He is not a one C. I think he could be a two C behind a very good one C that also has like a decent three C. Like I think he could be a two three C combo, like a flip. Um, which is what I was hoping would happen. Taves is your one C obviously. And then doc and Strom like That's, holding down the middle six very well. That'd work. I can, but, I can but you know, those injuries forced him to do stuff that he, he just isn't. And I'm not for playing players where they won't succeed. And so this forced him into roles that just weren't good. And so he was like off balance from the jump. And then he got put with Kubelik and Kurashev and that line was very good. It just wasn't scoring like Kubelik wasn't shooting well or something because he he was like missing a bunch at the beginning of the year. And then he finally started going well. But Dylan Strom was still having some of the best high danger chances on the team in terms of passing. So (laughs) it's like I'm annoyed at the whole situation. If we get something okay for Strom, it's whatever. But it it feels like if they trade him, it's not going to get anything good in return. It feels like it was a waste of time. You should have just kept Schmaltz the whole time. I, I I'm with you. I it just I you watch Dylan Strom like I I know he's not the most fleet of foot, but he moves okay, and he's it's just good. The, he's the, good the in both zones too. His his creative ability on offense, I think, is something that is not talked is is not he doesn't get enough credit for because I think he's a very good creative offensive player, and they're there's a level of that that cannot be taught. It's just an instinct type of thing. And um, one, one overall point, and I think this Strom is tied into this, and, and I don't know if – I feel like I haven't done a good job of bringing this up enough because we like the last four months, this season is weird. Like they've played every other night. They played 56 games in four months. They only played seven teams. There's only so much that has happened – this season that is going to apply to the future. Like next year, fingers crossed, 
they're going to get an 82 game schedule. They're going to play everybody in the league again. They're going to be on the road and not be confined to their hotels and be as close to quote normal as of a season as we've had in quite some time. So I don't know how much you can, I, I, I would be hesitant to draw any heavy con- or any too strong of conclusions about anything that happened the last four months, because it was a weird year. And so like, I'm not saying you completely throw it out, but I think you have, there has to be a level of um, it's almost like you have to reevaluate everyone all over again at the start of next season. Not in, maybe not entirely, but it's just the, the season was weird and it, it's not, it, you can't, can't, you can't treat it the same as every other season because it wasn't. So, well, I think you have to factor in whatever uh, Stan decides to do in the off season too, because <sighs> They, I, I'm here for keeping Strom. I like Dylan Strom, mm-hmm. but if he's on the phone about Jack Eichel, you know, Butlicker, our prices have never been lower. You know, <laughs> like, like we gotta, we gotta get that guy over here. So it's kind yeah. of a situational. It's weird, right? It, yeah, you know, but I mean, Strom's not gonna be a needle pusher on Eichel deal. No. That's gonna, hey, you know what? Look, re- people in hockey are stupid, so who knows? <laughs> I, I, I agree I, with. I agree with you, LBR. But people in hockey are stupid. <laughs> Yeah, seeing the like the return for Taylor Hall at the deadline was just like yeah, but Taylor Hall had complete control. Like apparently there was in the, I don't remember which team it was. There was another deal that was like way better, and mm-hmm. Taylor Hall was like, no, I'm not going there. Boston is the only team I want to go to, which is weird. But that's um, and so what can you do for that? Like you can't do anything. I mean, Eichel um, also has an NMC too, though. I think it doesn't kick in yet, does it? He's not old enough, doesn't it? Well, don't, in, don't those kick in when they're a certain age? Uh, well, all Taylor Hall has to do is walk in the room and be like, look, I got traded for Adam Larson, so... Eichel's apparently doesn't kick in until the twenty the 22-23 season. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember that because yeah. that's like what happened with Saad. They were like, his isn't going to kick in, and that's why they people wanted to trade him sooner than that last time because that probably impacted where his trade went because he had an NTC. But, ugh. I mean, like when you talk about, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I know I'm getting ahead of ourselves talking about Strom, but it's just like one of those weird things where it's like they're going to assess the team and it's like down the middle, they're not, they're probably have one of the better center groups they've had in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. But if they can get a guy like that, why not? Oh, for sure. You go for it if you can. I just think it would cost at minimum, Doc. And I think Doc's too green to like he hasn't proven anything yet so buffalo would be like i need at least another like a chip yeah if they were if they were losing in the conference final and they needed a center it's like okay yeah but they're not there yeah i I agree with you well well i i'm I'm sure kirby dow come up at some point too because he's had an interesting it's been an interesting year for him uh much much of it not really his own fault but uh no uh, they sent him off to child war and he broke his wrist (laughs) in a pointless tournament Oh, one, uh, one final quote here. The kid is Zadorov saying that this was his best season. I'd like to, be- I'd, I'd like to believe him and get him out of Chicago while his, while his trade I mean, value is at its highest. And like my, when I read that quote, Shepard, my first thought was, I, do you know he's wrong? Like, <laughs> well, I don't think he's, I mean, it could be his best season. He's been very, very That's- bad over the last eight years. So, 
Um, that, that was kind of the point. I'm like, maybe, maybe this is this is just what he is. That, look, his last game of the year, he wasn't behind the net, not defending his man on a game seven go ahead goal to go to the uh, Stanley Cup final. So, I mean, it's better than last year. I I want to be fair here because it may not have been Zadora's fault. But that goal at the end of the second period against Dallas on Monday night was fucking infuriating to me. You have Miro Heiskanen on the opposite faceoff circle screaming, hey, they're going to pass me the puck. And <laughs> for some reason, Suter and Zadorov are on the left side of the – they're uh, uh, standing right next to each other, and they both go right at the fucking point man and leave Heiskanen wide open. It could have been Suter's guy. It could have been Zadorov's guy. I can see arguments for both. My, it's Colleton's guy because he hasn't played man to man. It's even like, but I, I feel like there has to be a conversation between Suter and Zadora before that face off of I got this guy, you got that guy, and one of them has to go over and cover Miro fucking Heiskanen because he's one of the best offensive defensemen in the league. But nobody did, so he was wide open and he scored. I was. I could not believe I was that upset about a goal at the end of a second period in the last game of the season when they're not making the playoffs. But God damn it, that was so annoying. It was terrible. But that's the system. Yeah, I was about to say, if there's any one defenseman that probably should be annoyed at playing the system that they are, Zadorov should be it because First of all, he can't turn very well. He turns like a tank or an air, like a, like. (laughs) No, you're right. I'm just, I'm sorry. (laughs) So he can't like the the types of plays, like you have to be smart and quick to be able to play in, in man to man in general, much less this weird half thing that they have going um, half man, whatever they want to call it. That is not similar to anything else. I mean, there's certain elements of it that are, but, the parts that we get mad about are the things that are different that do not work in other teams. So, um, but on top of that, for some reason we don't play, like they don't, um, the Blackhawks do not defend the blue line. And that is something that Zadorov historically was good with with the abs. So like, it's crazy to me. I don't remember seeing Zadorov chase people behind the net when he was with the abs. He made other mistakes that were kind of like, what are you doing? But he never did that before. And I'm like, these are like things that he's being told to do and he should sue. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, like Zadorov to, to your point, not to interrupt you, but to yeah. your point, like Zadorov usually with the abs, he just got beat. It wasn't like he's, he was bad because he got beat by guys. It wasn't because he was told to go behind the net. Like it's two different things. You're totally yeah, or right. He'd take himself out of the play. Um, right. I actually thought he did much better towards the end of the year. Um, so if he did one thing, like he still did it occasionally, but I thought he did much better at that. Um, there's a, there's a stat that's tracked by sports logic. That's like, um, puck separation after a checker hit. And, um, it's one of those things that Shaw was always very good at doing, like the way that he hit players to not take himself out of the play. And it would result in possession for his team or disruption of play for the other team. And that's something that somebody like Zadorov should do more regularly. And he just didn't for a very long time. I thought, again, did much better at the end of the year, but it was, I don't understand him in general, but like him in this system didn't work. And if I was his agent, I'd be like, could you move me to somewhere else um, that would play to my strengths? Well, well yeah, like, I was say Stan Bowman acquiring him. It's like you've seen Jeremy Colleton's system after the the previous two seasons. Like you should know better. 
yeah, why are you going for that kind of defenseman when you know it's probably not going to work? Also, the disruption of play for Shaw is the perfect thing. I also feel like we had this exact conversation, and none of you were part of it, because I think it was myself and Brandon Kane and Brad Replinger on this podcast, Like, and we probably called it something different, like a year and a half ago. But when they acquired Calvin DeHaan, it's like, I'm not sure that this this is like another square peg in a round hole. Like he doesn't seem like he fit as well in this system as others. Right. Well, Dahan played with Carolina, who does play a type of man to man. It's different, but he did very well with Carolina in that system. So I actually thought maybe he would do okay here. But no, whatever they're being tasked with is just he looked confused and he's not super fast. So. Uh. Well, they have Rod Brindamore, who's like superhuman. So, yeah, one of the best coaches on the planet. We we just need to find like a former uh, mid to upper tier NHLer and help make him the new head coach. I mean, he was a captain. He hoisted a cup. (laughs) He's king of his castle. Literally you, on I, you cannot convince me that if they, the Blackhawks were willing to cough up $5 million and had coached coach the team, he wouldn't come over. I, I mean, Shepard, like, I, I would love Marion Host to be a coach. I just, I, I, be, I would be terrified that he wouldn't. I mean, Denny Savard wasn't a very good coach. Hell right. No. And I know it's Wayne, a different neither, type. Neither was Wayne Gretzky, but I think part of what, made, what would make Marion Host the best is that he didn't. He wasn't the he wasn't a supernatural talent or anything. He just worked his ass off. And that's the kind of coach you need. Like Rod Brindamore wasn't wasn't great at anything. Might, he just I worked might, his ass off. I don't know about that that supernatural talent. I mean, like I know I know is more of a two-way guy in Chicago, but you look at some of those numbers he put up like for the Atlanta Thrashers. I was gonna say it's understandable. Betsy's the only person that watched because she <laughs> the, she's the only Atlanta Thrashers fan that is still Hey, with- hey, I have a Thrasher <laughs> jersey with the tags from the stadium. Let's be fair here. <laughs> you, right. guys were, you guys were talking about like back in the beginning like when it was good to watch like the the hawks um like when it was like deserted and stuff like that's how it was in atlanta it was like well at least you can go see like kovalchuk and host a play and it was Shout like yeah. yeah he was great for the thrashers yeah he, he was. was fun <laughs> all right i'm trying um, to debate who to put on my thrashers jersey because like i'm a host of stan but like kovalchuk was the dude there uh, Hosa is my Thrasher's jersey. I mean, I'm trying to get one of those red ones that have like the front football numbers, the really ugly fair oh. jerseys. Yeah, so I was, I'm, I've got the traditional periwinkle. Yeah, blue. that's what I have is the blue. Huh? I'm trying to get both. Sorry, go ahead. What were you saying? I was going to say, I didn't even know you could still get those. Uh, no, I, I have it already. I'm trying oh. to hunt it down. Oh. I'm trying to hunt the red one down on eBay. It's very hard. Okay. Um, I have a I have a Thresher's uh, light up light from a bar actually <laughs> at my place. They were like giving them away. That's fucking and, sweet. And it's hanging <laughs> up in my place. See, like that's the type of shit that I would have hanging up in my house, where it's like you're a Hawks fan, but, like yeah, but you know, hockey. It's very cool. <laughs> very cool. And all you have to do is change out the the weird little one part of the light is like out, like whatever fluorescent doesn't work there, but otherwise it's in great shape so that's okay you're, it sounds like going, every bar where i live okay you're going you're going there's going to need to be a picture of this and we will have to share it on twitter sure 
I, I think I need to, I need to see this for sure. And I'm, I'm sure people listening to this might be interested too. So we're going to, yeah, the you guys will know if I open a bar one day, well, there'll be like Nordiques, Thrashers, North Stars. Yeah. Lights next, in time, the window. next time I'm back in Atlanta, cause I'm like at my mom's house now, but cause you know, okay. pandemic, I'll take a picture. Okay. That's, That's sweet. I'm All here right. for it. Let's get, sorry. To, we're, we're, uh, we're let's, get to the more, let's get to more questions. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we got a couple more. Uh, one, uh, this uh, guy, I'm going to guess his name is Steve Savage. Uh, it's at, at savage 12 mil. I th- I'm guessing you've heard That's, of this guy. That is my younger brother. Uh, he wants to know if there's any particular reason that this team won't be having the exact same exit interviews this time next year. Well, it'll be in April because it, there hopefully won't be yes. a pandemic. So there's that. Um, uh, B, Jonathan Taves will be there. Hopefully. Yeah, I, I think the question is more of will the it's essentially will the Hawks be better next season or why will the Hawks be better next season and Taze will be back. Um they fire Colleton in December <laughs> at the I, Christmas break, as per tradition. I feel like the Hawks need to do something big this offseason to signal that they are no longer rebuilding. And I I think they have the financial wiggle room to do something. What I they're going what, to do and how I know what that be. something is too. Sign Dougie Hamilton. Uh-huh. Let's go, Dougie. I'm totally one of the one of the best defensemen available. Yeah, I'm yeah. here for it. I'm hey, all here I, for it. I, I want to go back to my 0708 to 0809 Hoss comparison. The guy they signed in that was Brian Campbell. Sorry, not to ruin it, but I'm excited. Let's go. Let's get Dougie on board. Shout out 51 Phantom. All right. Well, Mills on board. Uh, Shepard, Betsy, do we have a unanimous approval on Dougie Hamilton? Oh, I would love Dougie yeah. Hamilton. Okay. Yes. All right, there we go. <laughs> there we go. That's, plus, plus Steve, if that's if why the Hawks are going to Sorry, Shepard, go ahead. If there's, a, if there's a culture Dougie Hamilton will fit in with, which is the, which was apparently the problem in Calgary, uh, having eco-friendly Jonathan Taves as the captain probably will help. There are so <laughs> many good museums in Chicago. He exactly. Will, he cannot get enough of them. So, Steve, to answer your question <laughs> – uh, the Hawks will be in the playoffs and not having exit interviews this time because they're going to sign Dougie Hamilton. There you go. We have solved that. We've answered that question. I thought um, he was going to ask you when we're going to get Mediterranean food, but that's okay. <laughs> that's well, well, we'll talk about that off air. Uh, another question we got on uh, Second City Hockey from BMAC2. He's, he's got a few here, and we're going we're gonna to try and end on a positive note here with the Blackhawks Hawk. So yes, we're we're just gonna go with one. But what was the best improvement for the turn for the team, or what did you see this season that is the best sign for the long term future of the Blackhawks? Shepard Adam, Bo- Adam Boquist developing better, especially post uh, COVID break, and and becoming a defenseman who could possibly be a top three, if not top two, guy in the future. Mill, what about you? Uh, Boquist and Kalanuk. That's kind of the Seabrook Keith thing. We expected Seabrook. Keith was a surprise, sort of. That's kind of how I feel about those two. Maybe not in that caliber, but I'm uh, impressed. So I'm here for it. Betsy, what about you? Well, let's make it unanimous. Those two are the, I love both of them. Um, I would add that I'm excited about Suter. Um, I'm always excited about their Euro players that they bring in, but. Yeah, I mean, I think he's been Shepard's guy this whole time, but I Not thought Subban isn't <laughs> his forward guy. Um, and yeah, I, the versatility that he brings to the team, I think, will be very good. Um, I don't think I still think he'll be better as a winger, and I'm hoping that that'll happen the next season and that he'll break out because I think that is a possibility. I think he could do 
like 0.665 points and be a good middle six player. Um, since, since you guys all want with skaters, I'm going to go to the net and say that the fact that Kevin Lankinen could be the guy long-term is probably the most encouraging thing for me because we didn't know anything about him four months ago. And I'm not saying, as we discussed earlier, I'm not saying he is the guy, but the fact that he could be the guy is uh, a massive step in the right direction. And if um, you get a goaltender, that covers up a lot of ills. Uh, The team in front of him needs to get much better, but um, having the goalie situation, uh, having a potential solution for that is very encouraging. Respect. Shout out Big Kev. (laughs) I see if I think those are all the questions we had. I think that's it. You know, all right. I, I was going back and forth on whether or not I wanted to do this, but we've got a few minutes here, and I wanted to really quickly touch on the Pat Foley situation last night. Now, I say this as a massive, probably Pat Foley apologist, because I've been listening to him call Blackhawks games for 25 years now, except for like that weird three or four years when he was with the Wolves. So <laughs> the thing that like I made a comment about this on Twitter last night, and I just said like I know what I what I tweeted exactly was. I know what Foley's trying to communicate there, but he's got to find a better way to express it than that. Um, I think everyone knows what he said at this point, so I don't need to repeat it. But I, I think it's just I this is a lesson in how shitty Twitter discourse can be. But I feel like you can have all of these thoughts together in your head and they can all be true. That Pat Foley was on his way to making a very salient point about the difficulties of being in the NHL this season that he then took an immediate wrong turn and said something very terrible that he absolutely should not have said. And that it's good. He apologized a few minutes later on the broadcast instead of letting somebody else do it for him. And that even um, that he also, I don't think he necessarily has to be fired because he said something inappropriate at a very inappropriate time. All of those things can be true. So I, I don't know what else to say other than that. Like it, it was, it was really a dumb thing to say, but I'm not, I, I just, I'm glad he apologized. And I hopefully, I think this should probably be the end of it and we can move on. And if he says something dumb again, maybe he gets fired for it. I don't know. I agreed. Like not, not a good call, but it was an honest mistake. And he apologized for making a mistake. Like, I don't think he meant to offend anybody. Yeah. I, I mean, it's very, yeah, it's, like it takes me back to the years of listening to Hawk Harrelson. And there, there was one game in particular and Shepard, I don't know if you remember this, but he, it was near the end of an inning and Hawk just out of left field started talking about LeBron James. And he said something along the lines of, I wish these guys would just stick to sports. And my thought was Hawk Harrelson's about to get fired with whatever he says next. And mercifully the next pitch was a strikeout or the third out of the inning. And they went to commercial and they changed the topic. So um, that just, that's what Pat Foley did last night reminded me of that Hawk Harrelson moment that it's a good thing it stopped where it did because someone might've lost a job, but, uh, yeah. So, so there's all of that. And I, I don't know how to segue out of that, but there it is. Yeah. So, Hey, uh, you guys want to talk about food now? Yes. <laughs> if we have enough time. Food, food, food. Shepard, I believe it's your turn after whatever food thing I said two weeks ago. I don't even remember what it was about at this point. So, uh, Shepard, all you, bud. Go ahead. Uh, ten times out of ten, I'd rather go to a well-reviewed sort of just like generally like people like it in the community. Cheap 
food place, a cheap restaurant, uh, than a good expensive restaurant because you're going to get more food at the, at the cheap place. You're going to get probably better tasting food, even if it's not better for you. And you're probably going to get something every time that you like. So I, I don't want to like over generalize this, but it sounds like the kind of the idea here is qual- a quantity over quality. I, quantity over quality. If the uh, quantity is at like a good level, like it's not, it's not horrible. Man, see, I don't know. I just like expensive restaurants. Nobody craves hot cuisine. When you, when you have like a craving, do you go to the expensive restaurant? No, you go to your favorite, like cheaper oh, okay. place. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Cause cheaper places are like probably more authentic most times. Um, probably run by members of the community that the food is from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I would absolutely advocate going local over going to chains at any point for sure. Yes. Yeah. And there are local cheap places too. Yeah. I do love getting a meal somewhere that you can then be like, this is going to give me leftovers for two, at least two more meals, but it's like paying for one. I love that. So yes, I agree with this whole (laughs) from an economic standpoint. I'm good. As long as the food is pretty good. I'm good with that. Exactly. Um, I will say that I do love whenever I'm traveling, I like to try um, good restaurants that are like in like a certain tier, like lower, because you don't want to waste too much money on that kind of stuff because you need to spend all your money on booze, obviously. (laughs) Um, But you, I always, we always pick at least one or two, depending on how long the trip is. uh, Nice upscale restaurant that gets, you know, not something that's like, outside like super expensive but um there was like a peruvian place in dc that i recently went to that the portions weren't that big but the food was so so good and it was really expensive and we did spend too much money on again booze there as well but in those instances i like expensive food if you're you're doing that stuff but yeah if you're talking about general just munchies yeah cheaper places with bigger portions even if the quality is not, you know, Michelin star. I, I will. I'm sorry, Betsy. I don't know if you admit. No, I'm done. Okay. I, I will say though, like if you get to a point in your life where you have a little bit of discretionary, or I don't know if even that's that right. If you have a little bit of extra spending money, let me bring this down to uh, terms I can understand. If you have a little bit of extra spending money, go to a fancy restaurant just one time. Like it's, it's, I did it like for the first time, I went to like a legitimate nice place. It was down in Indianapolis. Um, There's a place called St. Elmo Steakhouse, which I know it as, uh, I believe when it's the scouting combine is in town in Indianapolis. That's where like all the media hangs out outside that place because all the big NFL big wigs are inside that restaurant eating there. Now I, that's not the place I went to on the, on there's, there's St. Elmo's and then there's like the kitchen and then there's Harry and Izzy's, which shares the kitchen with St. Elmo's and the food is all the same, but it's about 30% cheaper. It was still not a cheap meal, but it was a v- incredibly, I had some of the best steak and shrimp cocktail I've ever had in my life. And there's something about like paying an exorbitant amount for food. I don't know if it makes it taste better, but every now and then, if I can just invoke the memories that are the lessons I've learned from Parks and Rec, sometimes you just got to treat yourself. 
And sometimes you got to treat yourself to a nice meal at a nice fancy restaurant. So if you have the means to do that, I do highly recommend it. But I would also get behind Shepard's recommendation of go somewhere local and just get a shit ton of food. And then you have meals for three days as well. None of these are bad options. Yeah, I got to agree with Shep too. Like I like going to fancy places every now and then because that's where you get like for me, like I like salmon. So like that's where you're going to get good salmon. But uh, I'm not going to pretend that I'm some kind of fancy guy. Like I'm pretty much a Morlock. So (laughs) I'm going to to El Amigo. (laughs) I think the the main idea here is like is like time and place. Like just like there's a time where you can just go to some local hole in the wall place down the street and just get an unnecessary amount of food for 15, 20 bucks. Or you can get maybe a little bit less quantity, but you go somewhere nice for like 50 bucks, depending hey, on how much you spend on hey, food. Look, if you're hanging with your buddies, you go to the cheap place. If you're on a date, you go to the nice place. But I mean, like if you're in a long-term relationship, you're going to the cheap place eventually. Well, but I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But sometimes you need to go to the nice place too. You get, you got <laughs> I think I think I think at some point you do need to go to the nice restaurant just just because. Yeah, every once in a while, but I mean, not, I think I think the point of 9 out of 10 times you're going to go to the cheap place, which is good. And when you're in a relationship and you're familiar with the person, that's a comfort level too. Um and you don't want to spend that huge amount unless you're getting again alcohol. <laughs> We're just going to come back to you how Yeah, exactly. I love like, tr- I love trying drinks more than I like trying food. Um, yes. Yeah, so, I'm a cocktail person. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like I said, that Peruvian place—the main reason I liked it—the uh, food was very good, but they kept giving like the per- the server was like, "Oh, it's the first time you're trying like different um, like mixes that we would do here. We can give you these like smaller sample. Essentially, they look like shot glasses, but fatter. And they're like, we can give you a bunch of like tries. And I was like, oh no, do those, this. Like, <laughs> that's like those are like those glasses that people drink wine out of. Like, but they're flat on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you get a four horseman in. (laughs) All I know is that I was like, yes, let's do this. Cause it was essentially splitting one glass between the four people that were with us. So we were like, like, yeah, keep bringing them here. Look, if I find a girl, I ask if she wants to go have a ton of drinks and then go get full waffles in the middle of the night. And she says, yes, I'm marrying her. (laughs) That's, that's the way that goes. Because that's that's pretty much the go-to for me. <laughs> you you laugh, but that's great after drinking. They have I, it all over all over Canada. It's like if you go to I Toronto, mean, I have no doubt. It's I, awesome. I just like where in in where on this side of that border can you get falafel after eleven o'clock? Um, like uh, how late is Aladdin open? I, I don't know. That, that's a very specific reference. I, 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 I mean, you don't have to drink that late. You can start drinking at five. Well, that's true. I don't know. Look, like just to preface it though, I'm just saying like, get, get your cheap food. That's good food. And a lot of it. And if, when you have to go out, then you have to make that exception. And it's okay. Once in a while. I, I just love the wide range of advice that is being doled out on at the end of this podcast. Like people tuned in for hockey and they just got a whole bunch of food advice, dating advice. Yeah. As if I'm somebody to take any <laughs> advice from on any of that. <laughs> let me, let me give you some advice from some, you know, late twenties, uh, drinking <laughs> out of shape Hawks fan. Way to go. I like, 
I, I, I kind of like want to just like somehow egg this on and make this last even longer, but um, I, I, I don't know what else to add to this. Well, you covered track today, so you probably have had enough today, Dave. Uh, I know how that goes. I've gone to those meets before. Uh, you know what? You know what I need, Mel. Yeah, I need some falafel. That's what I need. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm saying like they're uh, very, very good. I, one of our food takes is going to have to be what's the best food to eat when drunk. I oh. When, Okay. It's pizza. It's pizza. It is pizza. Yes. It's pizza. Uh, falafel take though. Uh, <laughs> when I was working at the, my, when my company that I worked for had a store across from the UC, we would take lunch at Subway all the time down the street and they had falafel there. And I'd always walk back and pass Laz as he was going into the building. Okay. I'm, there's a Subway that serves falafel. Um, so there's a Subway next to a Dunkin' Donuts that's like on Madison. I I just I didn't know that was on the menu at Subway. They had it when I was working there all the time. This is like a couple oh, years ago. That's I I, le- I learned something tonight. Yeah, uh, but, but so I'm I'm glad I learned something. But I want to quickly double back to what Betsy and Chuck just very enthusiastically <laughs> agreed about pizza being the best drunk food. And drunk. I don't want to say you're wrong, but have you ever had like 3 a.m. White Castle? Mm. There's no White Castles here. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. And, and here's another hot take. I'm okay if I never have another cheeseburger or a beef cheeseburger again. Uh, but yeah, but why can't, so you can get veggie, you can get impossible. Chicken. The White Castle is wildly underrated. I, I get veggie, fish, or impossible, and they're all good. Well, when you're I'm drinking. I'm very worried about what that is actually made of. <laughs> I mean, what's any of it made of, like, uh, really? All right, you got me. I mean, I yeah, like but, burgers when drunk, but man, pizza's so good when drunk. Pizza's like, so convenient, too. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy to fold, and it's easy cleanup, and it's... You're, like, shoving. You can shove it in your mouth. Like, it's so... Yeah, I, I mean, love like, like if you're at, Even you if you're drinking cooking? at home, you just have, like, a Costco four-pack of frozen pizzas for however many people are at your house, and you're good. I will, I'll tell you, there's a there's a burger chain in Atlanta that's called the Vortex, and they have these burgers that are called the Bypass Burgers, and they're <laughs> like, like they have they have they get bigger, you know, they have like the single, and then it all goes up to quadruple, and oh, no. um, hi, Doctor Nick. <laughs> they are. If you get one and you share it between people, it's like, like fine, but like. At one point, I think they put like peanut butter sandwiches in, in between them or grilled cheese sandwiches in between them. But they like egg on them and stuff like that. And then they drizzle it. And yeah, and then you're going to get egg on your face. And nobody wants that. <laughs> oh, good God. But um, that's good junk food, too, because it's like breakfast food and burgers. But it is a mess. Um, so <laughs> I like I like uh, Mexican food, too, when I'm drinking. But it's really uh, situational. You know what I mean? Like, like from time to time, if it's easy, like easy to eat Mexican food. There's too much. Uh, like if you get kind of drunk and you're already like, if you get like an upset stomach, Mexican is already going to like tip you. Uh, all right. Well, let me preface it with, I mostly drink tequila. So okay. it kind of goes <laughs> hand in hand, but, uh, the Hawks used to have a place called Mexican Fiesta in the 300 level. And I'm so pissed. They took it out when they went all corporate. It was so good. Um, but I have it. I had a intrepid reporter at the United Center on Monday night, and I can confirm that Ironworks still exists. So yes, let's go. It's uh, next season. There's a hundred percent forecast of a uh, classic stick sandwiches coming my way. Of us cleaning them out. <laughs> yeah. 
Man, uh, was that intrepid like... reporter under under the name of Brandon? Perhaps. <laughs> uh, no, actually, it was a a, a different former Second City Hockey p- uh, person. It was uh, Shaylin Brady. It wasn't yeah. Ben Pope, who's clearly one of us by his recent reports. <laughs> <laughs> he was i it looked one of his tweets like it just looked like it wanted to say what the fuck is going on in this picture ben pope's like drilling the defense and i'm like i think we should hang out with him (laughs) he was he was on he was on a podcast last summer we had we had him on talking uh because he was he was in the the middle of everything getting shut down last year he was pulled off his Blackhawks feet and thrown right into the middle of the protest in Chicago. Which oh, we got to get him back. How too different of a right. world you can go uh, between those two. Um, I, well, I think we've sufficiently driven this completely off the rails and into the ditch. So any other final thoughts to add? That was poetic, just like the Hawks did their season. <laughs> no. Uh, That's there, there we go. But I don't, I don't know how to end it any better than that. Um, I, I want to take one moment here really quickly uh, and just share. I, I, I started talking about this on my personal Twitter account last night, but I wanted to bring it here. Like I got hired on as the site manager at this site at a very strange time in my life. And because of things related to the pandemic and not, and I've been at this website since 2009. So the fact that I am sitting in the role of site manager is beyond weird to me. And I don't know if I appreciated it enough. I can't believe that there are people who listen to the things that I say and read the things that I write about the Blackhawks. That's a concept that I cannot wrap my head around, but I am eternally grateful that anybody does listen, read, whatever, however you interact with the website. If you do, I, you have my sincere gratitude because I enjoy that. The reason I do this is to talk about the Blackhawks with other people. And on a similar vein to Betsy Mill Shepard and Janelle, thanks to all of you guys for helping out with everything this season. It was not easy to do. I mean, there were games every other night. It was hard keeping everything on the same page. Uh, I hope you, everyone enjoyed the, hope you enjoyed the content, even if you didn't enjoy the outcomes. Um, I had a blast and just fingers crossed that in the future, we get some better Blackhawks teams to write about. I think that's something we can all get on board with. Um, so I think that'll do it. Um, oh yeah. I should probably tell you I'm on, uh, on Twitter at underscore Dave Melton. Mill is at Mill182. Shepard is at Shepard Price. Betsy's not on Twitter, but she is at Second City Hockey under the moniker LBR. And at secondcityhockey.com is where you can find all of our content. Um, we're going to have plenty more stuff coming up over the next months. Um, I'm sure the podcast will keep getting weird because we don't have the Blackhawks to talk about. So maybe we'll give out more dating and drinking and eating advice. Woo! Um, I don't know. Uh, we're we're going to keep doing things because it's fun and it seems like people are reacting to it. So uh, as long as uh, until someone tells us that we suck, which, well, I mean, that's probably going to happen anyway. So we'll probably keep doing it anyway. Um, but <laughs> you suck. we're going to we're just going to keep doing things and um, feel free to send us line, answer, uh, ask us a question, whatever you got. Um, yeah. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for following along tonight. Thanks for following along all season. And um, we'll see where it goes. But thanks again for your time and uh, go Hawks. Hanging on. Is that a Space Jam reference?